Dialectical Behavior Therapy was created in the 1980s by Marsha Linehan in Seattle, Washington. Today, DBT is taught all over the world. We're two therapists who believe everyone can benefit from DBT skills. I'm Kate. I'm Michelle. And And this this is is DBT and Me. Hello, everybody. It's another week of DBT and Me. Woohoo! There's Michelle. (laughs) Uh, So, today is week three of mindfulness. Had enough yet? Um, never enough mindfulness. That's the answer, in case you wondered. Um, but really, today I would say is an odds and ends um, stuff that doesn't fit fit doesn't fit neatly into you know any of the particular hard and fast what or how skills. Um, but just some of our final thoughts on ways to practice mindfulness um, and incorporate it more fully into your life. So I think Michelle is starting us off this week. Yeah, I'm going to get it started. Um, so, I mean, one of the things that we talked about when we very first said that mindfulness was the topic that we were going to discuss and diving into what mindfulness is a little bit more is we just want to give you guys as many ideas as we possibly can for how you can practice mindfulness and what it can look like. So some of this is probably going to sound like review today, but that's like intentional. Like we want it to sound like a refresher and have some of this ring a bell from what we've talked about before. Want to solidify. Yeah, that's that's a nice way to put it. Yeah, um, yeah, we want it to be, you know, sometimes we have to hear things a few times before it starts to sink in. So yeah, we just kind of wanted to run through some ways of practicing mindfulness. And one of the ways that I wanted to talk about that has been most helpful for me in my life um, is this idea of mindful movement. So This can look like all sorts of different things, but it is basically the opposite of sitting still with your eyes closed and trying to (laughs) meditate or things like that. Not to give that a bad rap. But that's the super stereotyped way of doing mindfulness. Yes, that will not work for everybody. everybody. So again, (laughs) right? (laughs) Um, Do that if it works for you, but if it doesn't, maybe try this out. And the reason why I think this has worked for me so much personally is because I started dancing when I was four years old. So I danced for years and years and years. And when I was about 17 years old, like I was dancing six days a week, like for hours every single day. So pretty much when I was not in school, I was dancing. It was just a way of life for me. My body was moving for hours a day. And then when I stopped dancing, um, it, it was one of those things that I lost for a number of years in my life was having some kind of movement that I really enjoyed and really invigorated me. I stopped dancing because I had to have a hip surgery done. I had an injury while I was dancing. And so, you know, after having that surgery done, I realized that my body couldn't <laughs> couldn't dance the way that it used to anymore. And I stopped for quite a while. And I've come to see for myself that, like, I have to have some kind of movement in my life, even if it's not on a daily basis some kind of movement in my life because when I'm moving, especially for me when it's to music, mm-hmm. <laughs> which, I mean, that makes it dancing. It doesn't matter whether it looks good or bad, people. Like, if music <laughs> is playing and your body is moving, you are dancing. Um, 
But so when I am dancing, when we think back to the things we've talked about thus far, with mindfulness, I'm observing my body's movements, especially if I'm dancing in a studio in front of a mirror, like I'm watching myself and noticing how my body's moving, how it feels. I'm fully participating in that experience with the music and I'm doing it in a one mindful way um, and it feels effective to me. Like those are some of the mindfulness skills that we've talked about the last couple weeks that I would really pull from. I'm not worrying about anything else. Like my brain doesn't have space for that because I'm trying to do the choreography the way the teacher's demonstrating it or whatever it is. So for me, it looks like dance, but it can look a lot of different ways. I mean, mindful movement can be yoga. If yoga is your jam, it can be just going for a walk. Like just noticing how your body feels when it's moving. Um, And now that I've gotten back into doing like movement and dancing a little bit more in my life, I've really realized like it's essential. Mm Excuse me, for me, like I do a Zumba class once a week. I actually did it this morning um, before I came here. And I didn't get a chance to do it last week. And my week felt different last week. It was like something was missing because I didn't move my body like in a way that I that I really needed to that's helpful for me um, and healing for me. It just, it does so much good for me mm-hmm. um, mentally and physically to move. So yeah, and um, another way for myself of practicing mindful movement, which I know you do too, Kate, is swimming. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, swimming, oh my gosh. Swimming is a great way to practice <laughs> So many senses, right? With the feeling of the water and yeah. how it changes sound to be underwater and it's just so engaging smells, right? Yep. Whether it be in nature or in a pool, water smells. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yep. Um, another one for me personally, I really like horseback riding. Like, yeah, I I love that. I feel so. Yeah, I don't do it hardly ever, but (laughs) whenever I do, oh, that's so calming for me too. So really, I mean, mountain biking was great for me. Oh yeah. Before I injured my back, it was a great place for flow, right? Mm -hmm. Because you're like you're just. In, you're just focusing on the trail ahead of mm-hmm. you, and you're just so in your body and so in the moment and connected mm-hmm. with the bike, and yeah. Yeah, especially. Skiing. I mean. Yeah. I love and skiing. I, and I don't think it's a coincidence that a lot of these things we're talking about, as I realized. I mean, for me, I tend to dance indoors in a studio, but, yeah. like, a lot of these things that you're describing, like, outdoor activities. <laughs> because like Because <laughs> you're in nature. Like, yeah. I think na- nature makes us be a little more mindful. I think it slows us or down ever so it. slightly. Yeah, it gives us an opportunity um, we're not just staring at four walls. Like, there's so much more to observe. It's, it's dynamic and, mm-hmm. outdoors. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it just feels good to do things, um, I don't know, yeah, outdoors that are active. So, of course, do what you enjoy. Do what you can within your body's abilities. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, don't but moving, <laughs> yeah, don't, don't hurt yourself. Um, but moving in any way can make us more mindful yeah i feel like so yeah that was one that i really wanted to kind of drive home and to Ooh, touch needing on bread kneading hmm? bread oh i thought you meant need n-e-e-d no k-n-e-a-d yeah. <laughs> yes kate likes kneading to bake bread yes <laughs> but now it just sounds like i really need it got it <laughs> <laughs> oops <laughs> so yeah that's one that's been really helpful and for the me. gestures don't help over the <laughs> yeah, Kate's gesturing the kneading. 
of, oh, well. of the bread. <laughs> Which looks kind of funny. Um, one of the things that I like to... I was going to say harp on, but that sounds negative. <laughs> I like to really focus on... Emphasize. Emphasize. Hey, there's a, there's a good word for it. Um, is mindfulness is a part of daily life, daily activities. Um, I, I'm sure we mentioned this a long time ago. Both Michelle and I are therapists in private practice. I emphasize mindfulness a lot in my private practice with my clients. And let me tell you the times I have heard, I don't have time to practice mindfulness. Lies. <laughs> were you awake at all <laughs> over the course of a day? Because if you were awake, if you were conscious, you can practice mindfulness, right? So um, Michelle was talking about movement specifically as kind of one antithesis of the super stereotypical and also super effective for those who like it. You know, sitting in one place with your eyes closed, with your you know hands turned up on your legs saying om, um, is being mindful of anything you're doing anything i can't say that enough <laughs> right are you cooking are you washing dishes are you grocery shopping are you doing whatever it is you do for work are you driving are you trying to get your kid down for a nap are you right i don't i don't care i don't care what brushing your hair brushing your teeth putting on your makeup taking off your makeup right going to the bathroom i don't care whatever you're doing anything Literally any at all of it is something you can do to practice mindfulness, right? I think one of the, you know, hearkening back to the skills over the last couple of weeks, um, I think the, the number one biggest switch between doing something mindfully and doing something not mindfully is really the one, one mindfully, right? Is being engaged in the activity you're engaged in and only in that activity. Um, if, you're, if you're washing the dishes, just wash the dishes, like notice the different textures of the different dishes that you're washing notice the smell of the soap that you're using notice the temperature of the water that's running over the dishes and over your hands right like the sounds of different things clinking together you know the ones that are like a nice satisfying clong of the pans and then the oh god did i break that of glass thing you know right like there's so much right there's so much going on that normally we're super tuned out um to in our day-to-day living. And so I guess I want to both give you an invitation and remove a certain excuse, right? There is no such thing as a day in which you were conscious at all and did not have the opportunity to practice mindfulness because you don't have to set aside time, right? It doesn't have to be a specially allocated set aside thing. Mm -hmm. Just turn it on. Yep. And as you're talking about this, one of the things that came to mind for me is that (laughs) one of the ways that you can try practicing mindfulness in your daily life and see if it makes a difference for you is with like the chores that you really can't stand. (laughs) Because I was just thinking about this for myself. The chore that I dislike the most is dusting. It is pretty awful. I hate dusting like it's the thing I like to do the least yeah I hate it um and but I was just thinking about it I was like but if I actually tried to practice mindfulness while I'm dusting would that change the experience for me of it and it doesn't mean I think I'd switch to being like this is the greatest but I think it would feel (laughs) at least a little more bearable maybe a little more interesting maybe it would yeah just not feel as much like 
a chore, but just more of like, I don't know. Discovery. Just, yeah, an experience. Yeah. Like, this is just the thing that I'm doing right now. And really noticing with my five senses what it feels like to do that. Yeah, the different textures of the things that you're mm-hmm. wiping off, the change in color as you take the dust off yeah. of the thing. Right? Actually observing, which I'm not doing when I do it. Like, I'm yeah. just doing it so, yeah, what was what was the word wrote you said? By wrote. wrote. Yeah, like, I'm just doing the thing to try to hurry up and get it done, and I'm not... And I bet you're being judgmental. Oh, my gosh. The whole time. I bet your internal dialogue is super full of judgment. Oh, yeah. It is. And, yeah, just even thinking about trying to do that in a more mindful way changes it. That makes a lot of sense. So that could be one way to try it out in your daily life, the chore you dislike the most. Also, (laughs) one thing to, like, help kick yourself into paying attention to things, something I, like, advocate for is the stuff that is super by rote, especially Mm -hmm. things you do literally the same way every time. Um, I don't know if you know this, but you brush your teeth in the same order. You do. Every time. You also wash your body in the same order every time you shower or bathe. So one way to kind of fight the mindlessness is to do those things out of order. Like consciously and intentionally, like wherever your hand goes with that bar of soap first, go, no, I'm going to go over here instead. Um, and just, yeah, do it out of order. It's harder to be mindless about it mm-hmm. if you force yourself to not do it in the super I don't know, mechanized, you know, mm-hmm. automated Yeah, the, just the routine way yes. you always do it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, yeah, I mean, I like that the biggest thing that you're pointing out is that the excuse of not having time doesn't work. <laughs> no. When it comes not to mindfulness. Um, <laughs> yeah, I know for myself, like, yeah, there are some things that are, I don't know, more formal, I guess you could say, mindfulness practices yeah. that I've dabbled in or engaged with and normally I'll do when it is kind of like a closing your eyes being still I do find that actually quite helpful for myself and also I'll sometimes be really good about doing it for a few days and then it goes (laughs) away and then a couple weeks later I'm like oh Oh, you know I felt so good when I was doing that I really want to bring that back that happens for me on a regular basis when it's when it's more structured mindfulness and basically I mean what you're describing is unstructured mindfulness is what I would call it like you can do it whenever with whatever so how convenient is that I don't think it gets more convenient than that no there's not very many other things you can do literally at all times Mm -hmm. (laughs) yep um and the final thing that we wanted to talk about today um as we were preparing for this episode and thinking about like you know what are maybe the different ways of practicing mindfulness that we really want to emphasize and point out and encourage you to try and see if it works for you. Um, And one of the things that we talked about that we both kind of really liked is this idea, which I would say maybe it's a little bit of the how of mindfulness more than the what. Like mindful movement is a what. Like, you know, doing mindfulness while you're showering or is a what. Whatever it is, that's a what. This is kind of a how. So this is more, I mean, in the therapy world, we call it like process versus content. (laughs) I don't know if that will make sense at all. But this is the how you're doing your mindfulness. And this is one way to approach it. Um, And just a different way to reframe it and think about it. It's just this idea of having a child's mind when you are approaching 
something that you're doing. Um, neither Kate or I have children, but Kate has nephews that she loves. Um, I grew up with my mom running a daycare out of our house, so I had children running around in my home for eight <laughs> hours a day. So we both have spent, you know, in our own ways, a fair amount of time around kids. And if you see how kids are with something, like, everything is fascinating. Mm-hmm. They notice all these little details that adults would never notice because adults, again, are just very much like, I have so many things to do today. It's like and the numbness of familiarity. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You know, as an adult, maybe you've done that experience a hundred times, but a child is maybe doing it for the first time or the second time. This is, like, fresh and interesting to them And they approach the world so differently than adults do. And honestly, kids are far more mindful than we probably give them credit for in terms of just what they know what they notice one mindfully too (laughs) that's true they get centered on something and they want it no kidding Um, (laughs) but you know they really do a much better job of observing than we do as adults and that's like the base of mindfulness if you don't start with observing you're not going to get very far (laughs) i think even like down to like infants um and watching like an infant with any object in their hands mm-hmm. is fantastic because you can tell that it's so foreign to them mm-hmm. that there's just this fascination and this curiosity and this exploration. You know, they, you know, inclu- up to including with infants putting it in their mouth, right? <laughs> like how, how many different senses can I use to experience this thing? Um, and I think that's just a really different approach right Mm -hmm. to things than this sort of like well I know what a pen is and I have to look that closely at that pen (laughs) yeah um so how you can take this idea and apply it I mean I think there's a couple different ways one way that I might recommend this is that if you are about to have a new experience I think as adults well, I'll speak for myself anyways, like new experiences can sometimes provoke a sense of anxiety of like, how is this going to be? I don't know where I'm going. You know, I hope my GPS is right and getting me there. I hope I'm on time. Like you have all these adult worries when you're about to have a new experience that kids just don't have. And so when you are going to do something new, when you're going to a new place, when, you know, I don't know, I mentioned Zumba earlier, but let's say you're being invited to a Zumba class for the first time in your life and you've never done it and you don't know what it's going to be like, (laughs) you know, rather than going into new places or meeting new people or new activities with this sense of worry or dread that I think we can so commonly have, go in with a child's mind go into it with this sense, sense of wonder of, yeah sense of wonder sense of curiosity sense of just being like i'm just gonna really try to let as much in about this experience as i can and fully be in it like fully participate in the experience which is one of the core mindfulness skills we talked about just really be in it and take in as much as you can and that that may change your experience of it. I think the other way to practice child's mind too is, yeah, with those experiences or sometimes with those places or with those people that were like, oh, I, <laughs> I can't stand doing this or I hate going there or like whatever it is, the next time you have to do it, try it with fresh eyes and see if it feels any different. If you truly try to act or pretend 
like it was your first time there or set a goal for yourself of like I'm going to notice something different here that maybe I haven't picked up on before like yes I've been in this room hundreds of times this time I want to try to pick up on a detail that I've missed because you know we we miss things all the time Mm -hmm. we can't our brains don't have the capacity to focus on every single detail all the time but notice what that does to the experience when it's an unpleasant one or one that you're not looking forward to or one that's become very familiar in Mm -hmm. maybe a way that you wish it wasn't (laughs) see (laughs) see what that's like when you go into it thinking like a child would and just see what that does yeah, see how it shifts things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um, so gosh, trying to think, what if anything are my sort of summary thoughts on mindfulness? Um, I feel like I'm gonna beat the dead horse just by saying, do it, just do it, do it a little bit, do it when you think about it, right? And remember that you don't have to set time aside. Um, it's got so much amazing neuroscience behind it. It allows us to have less judgment for ourselves and for our own experiences and also for those around us. It allows us to make new neural connections in our prefrontal cortex, not to sound like a total nerd, but I kind of am, which allows us to be less overwhelmed by life and make uh, better, more wise mind decisions. I mean, there's so many... I, you know, I feel like a bit of a proselytizer, but there's very few things in life, right, emotionally especially, that mindfulness can't help. It's not like it's necessarily going to solve everything, but it tends to make everything a little bit better. Mm-hmm. And so for me, I'm just a huge proponent of trying it out. I know it might be something new. It might be something scary. It might be something hard. I think I said this early on. Do it badly, right? <laughs> like, do it badly. Do it for short spans of time, but do it, right? Mm-hmm. And, and notice what it does. Those are sort of my summary thoughts, I yeah. think. I like your summary thoughts. I don't know if I have too much more to add on to that because I agree with everything you just said. I think one of the things that I noticed myself kind of touching on today in wrapping up mindfulness or talking a little bit more about how I find mindfulness helpful for myself mm-hmm. personally is just when we practice mindfulness, how much it can change our internal emotional experience. Yep. It changes the game when we're doing things in a mindful way versus when we're doing things in a mindless way. It changes how we feel emotionally about the thing that we're doing. And I just think that's something that is amazing. I think it's amazing that we can shift our attention ever so slightly and it can make us feel very different emotionally. And that we, I mean, we live in this world that is... <laughs> so rushed. I don't know. Yeah. I think a mindfulness is slowing down just a little. Just a little, yeah. It doesn't mean like, you know, like you were talking about of like, you know, oh, I have to sit and meditate for 30 minutes a day. It, it, you don't have to hold yourself to that high standard because there's so much beauty in the world around us that as we're rushing, we just fail to notice. We we don't look at it. We tell ourselves we don't have time. And it's just, quite frankly, not true. Yeah. Smell just, the goddamn roses. Right? <laughs> You're just spending your time focusing on other things that you know, are taking away from, like, a mindful experience more than likely. Um, But when we actually center our attention 
really observe and see what's around us, I mean, then you're practicing mindfulness and there's so much to observe and it can be very soothing and very calming and just really change the way that we perceive ourselves and the world, world that we're us. in. Yeah, yeah, because there is a bunch of crap out there. <laughs> and But there's also a lot of beauty. Yes. And mindfulness helps us find that beauty, I feel like. So. Yeah, yeah, I like it. Cool. Um, so because this was our last week to talk about mindfulness, um, our homework for you guys this week, you know, take whatever has felt most helpful for you out of the last few episodes. And we are just encouraging you guys for your homework to practice one minute of mindfulness a day. At least. I mean, more if you want to. <laughs> That's a starting <laughs> Oh, it's been a minute. I have to stop now. <laughs> right, yeah. If it feels good, keep going. Um, but to start figuring out what this looks like for you to incorporate it into your daily life. It's going to look different and unique for each person, just depending on what works in your lifestyle and what you enjoy, what feels good to you. Some ways of practicing mindfulness probably aren't going to fit, and some hopefully are, and just play around with it. But... You know, practice mindfulness at least one minute a day in whatever way you want to try it out. <laughs> and remember, you don't have to set aside time. Yep, exactly. <laughs> you have the time to do it because, as you put it, Kate, like, when you're awake, you can be mindful if you choose to be. So, yeah, find at least a minute a day to practice mindfulness in some way, shape, or form over the next week. Email us, DBT and me podcast at gmail.com. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Um, today, we are actually going to do the closing moment a little bit differently. I'm going to hearken back to Michelle's commentary about a child's mind, and that's kind of where we're going to go. So uh, today, you're not going to close your eyes. Instead, you're going to keep them wide open and do one of a couple things. Um, one, you can just look. Find something in the room around you or the environment. I was going like I know, right? I was like, oh, no, no, well, the car, that's hard. You have to look at the traffic, right. please pay attention. Um, <laughs> wherever you are. Wherever you are, find something. Um, or if you want to, you can also pick something up and hold it in your hands. In fact, I would say I encourage this if you're in a situation where it's possible. Um, so yeah, pick up a random object. It doesn't have to be anything particularly new or exciting. It can be completely mundane and just pick it up, hold it in your hands. And what you're going to do is explore it. You're going to touch it with your hands. You're going to look at it with your eyes. Um, depending on what it is, if there seems to be any reason worth doing so, you might try smelling it. Um, you might try brushing it against your skin in different places. How does it feel to the back of my hand? How does it feel to the side of my cheek? How does it feel to, uh, if I touch it lightly versus if I touch it with a heavier hand, if that's possible. Um, you might imagine, like I said before, that you're a child and this is your first time holding this object or anything like it. Um, if it suits your brain better, you could almost think also you're an alien coming to this planet, and this is your first time encountering this. But the long and short of the idea of this activity is to be fully present to the object that you are observing, whether that be from a distance, just by looking at it, or if that be with as many different senses and parts of yourself as you can. 
what is this thing? What colors does it have on it? What textures? What, how heavy is it if you're holding it? How much does it weigh? Is it weighted more on one end than the other? Um, do any parts on it move? Um, right, just as many questions as you can ask yourself about this thing. What is it? Without answering, what is it, right? We want to avoid things like, this is a big pen. <laughs> right? We want to be like, this is a, I don't know, black cylindrical object that tapers at one end, right? And has a clicky thing on the back. How exciting is that? Um, but just really lose yourself in whatever this thing is. Um, I would say that this particular exercise doesn't have to have a clear endpoint. So um, today and possibly only today, I'm gonna say spend whatever time you want with this closing moment activity. Um, I don't know what you're holding on to or how long you might be able to explore it. So for now, I'm just gonna say open your child mind or alien mind or whatever sounds good to you and have fun exploring. And we'll see you next week. Thanks everyone. To learn more about us and the DBT skills we're teaching each week, join our Facebook group. Simply log in to your Facebook profile and search for DBT and Me Podcast.